Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Good morning. Okay. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Did anyone have any exciting Valentine's things happen this morning? No? Not a lot of faces going on there. Um, I, I tried really hard to make my sermon connect cute with Valentine's Day. I wanted it to be, you know, Valentine's Day, all about love, and I just actually failed miserably with it. So you are not getting a nice, cute tie-in message to Valentine's Day. You are not going to be getting a nice, warm, cozy-feeling sermon. Because today is the first day we are kicking off um, the new sub-series in our 21 missives they never saw coming, Faith with Feet. And so these, uh, for the next little bit, we're looking at the, the letters that Paul wrote to churches. So Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, where Paul connects the identity of the body of Christ with practical application, often in hard-hitting exhortation type of ways. He has things to say to the churches that, that can be a little harsh. And so today we start with Romans. And, and you know, as I've been preparing for this, uh, on, on our Facebook group, I asked this question. I asked, you know, kind of people that I ran into, what, what are your first thoughts about Romans? Kind of in hopes that it would kind of give me a direction of where to take the sermon. But let me tell you, people have mixed feelings about Romans. <laughs> These are some of the comments I got. Man, over my head. Oh, I love the tone. It's so direct. Oh, I hate the tone. It's so harsh. Man, I read a chapter and, and it's like, oh my goodness, the depth. And at the same time thinking, I don't understand what I just read. It's the whole story of God in one book. It's long and complicated because it has to be. Someone else? Wow, this is God's love demonstrated for us. The grace, the amazing grace. It's treated like it's the only book that really matters in theology, and I'm kind of over it. This is hefty. And it's full of God's love. So man, just from that, actually, it wasn't that helpful in figuring out the direction I should go. In fact, that combined with the rest of the book, I was overwhelmed by all the different ways I could take this sermon. This book has deep theological principles from chapters 1 through 12. And then chapters 13 to 16, it's like hard-hitting practical stuff about authority and other believers and power dynamics. And as I prayed and listened to Jesus, I ended up landing in chapter 6. So chapter 6, it's, you know, before chapter 6, Paul is kind of laying out the reason for the need of Jesus' sacrifice because of his, and how he sacrificed himself because of his love. And then in chapter 6, Paul now asks this question. 
can we go on sinning because of God's grace and forgiveness? So in the first part of chapter 6, Paul lays out where we are in relation to sin. Its power is broken. We have been crucified with Christ. Sin has lost its power. We are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. Sin is no longer our master. Yes, this is such good news. And then, in verse 15, Paul kind of switches direction. He goes from talking about victory over sin to something slightly different. Paul now talks about the choice we have as believers if we will choose to obey sin or God. And so this is the verse that captivated me. As I read through the book several times, I kept landing on this one verse. And this is where we're going to spend majority of our time. Chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So let's break down some of these terms, because altogether, reading that, it's kind of easy to gloss over sometimes. It's like, no, no, slave to sin, nope, definitely not that, yep, serve God, let's move on. But let's break down some of these terms. So the first one, slave. The early church would have understood all the implications of this word. Uh, second century uh, pagan critic called Christianity comprised of foolish and low individuals like slaves, women, and children. So they would have understood when Paul uses the word slave, they would have gotten all the nitty-gritty details. We, we don't know all the implications. But a definition we can use is one that is completely subservient, yielding, accommodating, submissive to a dominating influence. So don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So let's look at choose. This means we're no, mad, we're no longer automatic slaves to sin. Sin is no longer a given thing in our life. We know this in ver- by verse 6 in chapter 6, where it talks about, we know our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. But the choose implies that we actually still have choices to make that will lead us to God or to sin. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Obey is, what are we listening to? What is the thing that is driving your actions? So don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin. And I mean, sin is one of those uh, words that has a lot of broad definitions. It, It can mean anything other than Jesus is sin. Missing of the mark is sin. An act against God and his eternal law is sin. What about this one? Sin is an act, any act, that lessens your love for God and elevates your love of self. So let's hear that verse again with these different definitions. See if it lands differently. Don't you know that you become completely subservient to whatever you listen to? You can be submissive to acts that lessen your love of God and elevates love of self, 
or you can yield to God. Does that change that verse a little bit for you? Maybe make it a little easier to see where you could land? Maybe a little harder to gloss it over and move on. And so we choose to yield to sin in, in a few ways. And I mean, these are overlapping, and I mean, it's kind of a hot mess of combination once we get all into it, but we can be slaves to ourselves. Jamie Winship, a speaker, talks about, and I would agree with him, about a lot of our actions are either self-protection or self-promotion. I'm going to say that again. A lot of our actions are rooted in self-protection or self-promotion. Slaves to ourselves means we're listening to pride, to performance, to control, manipulation. We listen to what is best for us. End of story. We can also be slaves to others. Those chapters, 13 to 16, where it kind of talks a lot about our relationship with others, we can go straight for those when we're a slave to others. The focus is on others. Let me get things right. Except it isn't in a loving sort of way, an out-of-our-identity-of-Jesus sort of way. It's in a slavery way, a fear-driven way. Fear drives us to become slaves to others. Fear of being wrong, fear of disconnection, fear of rejection or abandonment. And the result is we don't have boundaries. We're, We're led, guided, pulled by others and their reactions and their beliefs. We're subservient to others. We are ruled by the fear of what will happen if we don't overly accommodate others. Our actions can be easily whitewashed. We can easily convince ourselves that we are not slaves to ourselves or slaves to others. We wrap it up in nice biblical language sometimes when we're actually simply self-protecting or self-promoting. So, what are the areas of your life where you're obeying something other than Jesus? Are you a slave to yourself or a slave to others? So if this is what slaves to sin look like, well, what does it look like to be slaves to God? Verse 22, we see this. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. So slaves to God, first and foremost, means you're actually more than that. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, not merely slaves to do his bidding. We don't go from slaves to sin to slaves to God with no choice in the matter. We become slaves to God out of love and acknowledgement of what Jesus has done in our lives. We willingly submit to him to be used as his servants. For we know that he is good. We know that he is kind. And his purposes towards us are true. Furthermore, sin's paycheck is death. But God freely gives his children abundant life. So in Romans 8, we see this idea that being slaves to God is more than that. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all 
who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to the fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. Another thing of of being a slave to God is, is that it's not simply a change in behavior. We don't just focus on our outward actions. The tricky thing is, actually, is that that behavior of slaves to sin and behavior of those that are slaves to Jesus may actually look the same. But it's the posture of our heart, who we are listening to, that's different. And we know Jesus is is never just about behavior. We see this in in Matthew 15, 19, when um, the Pharisees come and they're, they're upset with the disciples. Why aren't you washing your hands? Don't you know that unwashed hands defile you? And Jesus is like, no, it's not about the hand washing, guys. And he says, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So it's actually not our behavior. Though our behavior can be indicative of what's going on in our heart, right? Not saying the two are disconnected, but it starts on the inside. And being slaves to God means we open ourselves up to him and let him deal with the inside, not merely try and change our behavior so we look good. Also, being a slave to God means we actually do show up differently in places with authority, disagreement with other believers, power struggles, all those situations referenced in Romans 13 to 16. We engage from our identity as alive in Christ and showing the love of Jesus, not out of fear of the consequences if we don't engage correctly. So how do we get there? How do we make the transition if we recognize, oh man, maybe I'm slaves to sin in a couple areas. How do we move to being slaves to God? First and foremost, this transition is not an exertion of will. This is not a reminder or a resolve to just try harder, do better, you know, straighten up and fly right. No, actually, it's not that at all. Dr. Julie Slatterly, a Christian psychologist, says this. So often we believe that it is faith that saves us, but hard work that makes us into true Christ followers. With that strategy, we will inevitably end up as either judgmental Pharisees or hating ourselves for our constant failure. This transition is something called sanctification, the process of being made holy. Sanctification, though, is not about trying harder. It's about learning to try differently. Let's look at some of these key sanctification verses. Romans 12, 1 to 2. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know that God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, make you holy, through and through. And then Philippians 2. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Okay, this sounds like maybe that counteracts, that maybe we do have to work hard and, and produce something. But listen to the next verse. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Sanctification, the process by which we transition from slaves to sin to slaves to God, is actually God's job. Take a deep breath into that. It's not all up to you. Isn't that a relief? Becoming slaves to God is about yielding yourself to God and letting him do the work to make you holy and blameless. Romans 8, 4 in the message says this wonderfully. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished. As we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. So how do we do this? How do we partner? How do we submit and yield ourselves to Jesus and let him do the hard work? Well, there's a couple of things that we can do. The first one is daily recognition of the truth. So deliverance from old master sin is not found in fighting with it constantly, but in the recognition of the actual truth of who you are as being born in Christ. You are holy. You are cleansed. You have been made new. You are God's beloved child. You are a holy royal priesthood. You have been born again. Be fierce about your new identity. Rather than focusing all our attention on things we want to change and fix and need to get right, continually look to Jesus and declare who he has made you to be. The second thing is be curious and watchful of the why behind things. What is driving your actions? Because, man, actions can look really good on the outside. And this isn't in an obsessive sort of way, because we could really kind of get kind of zeroed in on this and spend all our time wondering about our motives, wondering what's behind. But again, in, in a fierce sort of way. Easy question. Are you self-protecting? Are you self-promoting? And go from there. I'll tell you what this can look like sometimes. So um, when Pastor Michelle felt God calling her to end her job here and, and move on to what he's calling her to do. And, and she announced it, and it was made public. I had a lot of people ask me, oh, are, are you going to, are you thinking maybe of applying for the job? And every time I'd be like, nope, I don't think God's calling me into that. Nope. No sense. God hasn't told me anything about it. Really nice spiritual language. <laughs> the behavior looked good. And yet, as I kind of, more and more people asked me, and as I got curious and wondered 
about the why behind what was driving my answer, I realized it actually had nothing to do with listening to God. In fact, what I was listening to was comfort. I was the slave of myself. I was a slave of comfort. I was listening to comfort. I was listening to the lie, oh man, if you take this job, it will be hard. You don't want the extra responsibility. Your, your life is cushy now, so keep that. And without me being curious and watchful of what, what's driving this action, I, I would actually, I'd not be here today, nor would have I had created space to be like, Jesus, what's going on, and are you calling me into this job? And the third thing we can do is be in community. It is dangerous to go it alone. Man, in trying to figure out if we're listening to sin or to God, we need to do it in community. We can so easily, I mean, my story case in point, we can so easily convince ourselves that we're listening to God and not think about anything else. But man, to have other believers around that are asking, and in my story here, I had other people be like, oh, okay, like, tell me more about that. Or as I th said things, like, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't know if I want that. To be like, are you really comfortable where you are? And is that your highest goal, is to be comfortable? We need community Amen. to learn how to embrace what the Spirit is already doing in us. So we can choose to listen to sinful things. Or we can choose to yield to Jesus. To those who are following Jesus, sin is no longer our default setting. And we remain connected to our true identity as sons and daughters of God by daily recognizing the truth of who we are and what Jesus has done. By being curious and watchful of the why behind our actions. And being in community with believers who will encourage, cheer us on, and call us out on things. So as we go into this last song, just take the time to ask Jesus, is there any area of your life where you're listening to sin rather than Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we go into this next song, would you, in your kindness, expose the places where maybe we thought we were yielding to you, but we've been subservient to something else. And I just declare in Jesus' name, no condemnation or shame, but Jesus, uncover the hidden places. Let your light shine and bring freedom from sin. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you still have a question that you're wanting to ask about the message, or if you have a, a, a comment or something like that, make sure you text in quickly. They're just getting those queued up back there. While we're getting those ready, I've just got a statement to read here. Um, so here, you may have heard about a report that was released last week, uh, which both corroborated recent allegations that global ministry leader Ravi Zacharias participated in sexual misconduct. 
and uncovered new evidence of extensive abusive behavior. Um, so the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada put out a statement uh, saying that they are appalled as well. Um, we are appalled at the findings of this report. Abuse of any kind is a serious matter, and when, especially when it comes from a trusted spiritual leader. So we're deeply grieved by the pain experienced by women who were victimized by Zacharias and the lasting effects of that abuse. Uh, anytime we live separate and detached and disconnected lives from accountability, we risk these kinds of abusive relationships. So we at Beaver Lodge Alliance Church uh, have committed ourselves to living lives based on transparency. We encourage our leaders to be in mentoring relationships, to be part of small groups, to be transparent with accountability partners. Our focus on soul care also includes having people in our lives uh, share life confessions with, and we're committed to continuing to pursue this kind of transparency in our leadership. As a church, we also encourage anyone who's experienced or is experiencing abusive behavior to talk to somebody about it, to tell somebody. Telling someone is a first step towards freedom and healing. And those things are exactly why Jesus died on the cross, so that we can experience freedom and healing. So if you're experiencing abuse of any kind, or I'm going to put this in there also, if you are an abuser, we want to talk with you. We want to walk with you through this. Christ died for both. And there may be lots of ramifications of that, but we want to get this stuff in the open so freedom and healing can begin to happen. So we're here to help. Pastor Amy and I are both here. We're here uh, following the service. If you need to talk to us, we're here later this week. We're here if you want to call us or text us or t uh, connect with us at any point. Our elders are here. There's other spiritual leaders that are here. Please talk to somebody about what's happening, if it's happening in your life. So let me just pray. We're going to do the questions, but let me just pray, because uh, it's a serious thing, and we want to make sure that we um, actually uh, address it seriously. So let's just pray together for this. Jesus, uh, I, I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken whenever anybody does something that maligns your name. And Lord, I'm heartbroken that people are hurting I'm heartbroken that abuse happens at all. I'm heartbroken, Lord, for the people that are being abused. I'm heartbroken for those that are abusers, even. And Lord, I know that you love all of them. And so, Jesus, we just give you this situation. We're trusting you, Lord, to bring healing, uh, to, to repair broken hearts. And so, Lord, uh, for this situation and any other situation where abuse is happening, God, give us Give us freedom, give us healing, give us wisdom in the midst of all this, Lord. Help us to walk together well as a community and help us to reveal your hope and your joy, Jesus, your love, what you've done for the world, Lord. Help us to reveal your true character, Lord. And so we love you, Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to take some questions now. Amy, I thought that was a fantastic message this yeah. morning. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Very well done. Thank you. This is a really long one. Do you want to, you want to give her? Sure. Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, that you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Mm-hmm. Does this, apply to cur- Does this apply to the question just asked about Christians who sin? So this, was one of the, so this question was one that came in after we had done last week, and so we didn't have time to answer this. So this was just, I think, in relation to the one, how do we go about dealing with past or present um, Christians that have done horrific things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this one, this one, I mean, I knew about this one from last week, so I had some time to think about it, which is nice. Um, because this, this is a passage that has kind of been taken to be like, okay, when people sin and they won't listen to us, we excommunicate them, kick them out, we don't talk to them anymore, they get to do nothing, they're like, they're dead to us. That doesn't seem like Jesus, but, but it is clear that, that there's something different in the way we treat them. And I think this is what I've come down, is, is when we look through the Bible, New Testament especially, and we look at the, how relationships between believers are supposed to look, it looks very different from relationships with people who don't know Jesus, right? There's a lot of, there's the intimacy and brother and sister treating like family. It's the calling, calling them out on things, that sort of thing. And so if it reaches the point where this person is unwilling to engage as a brother or sister, then we treat them like they're not. And how do we treat people that don't know Jesus? We treat them with love. We treat them with compassion. But it looks different. It's a great answer. I, I, just, I just want to add, look at how it's, this is community. So Jesus says, if you're having trouble with someone, bring it into community, right? Isn't that fantastic? Bring it into community. You're not on your own. Bring it into community. And that's excellent. Yeah, we treat pagans and tax collectors like, like they're loved, right? And it's different. Good answer. Yeah. Awesome. Next question. Okay, what does a righteous life look like? How does it look different from being a slave to sin? I'm having trouble applying this in my life, so can you give me some practical examples to get kick-started? Awesome. I mean, I feel like I could just say my last three points, <laughs> but yeah. uh, right? One is, is knowing your identity, who you are, and actually like declaring it, because as we say those things even out loud, it changes the neural pathways in our brain, that it actually changes the structure, and it becomes deeply rooted. Right? Again? Okay. Do you have another one? I mean, so just on that one, so you've got to know who you are in Christ, Mm -hmm. right? And so there may be, if you've not yet walked through your identity in Christ, that's an important thing. That's that's your your starting ground, right? You've got to know who you are in Christ. So when we do soul care, the number one thing we do is we talk about our identity. So anytime you find a passage in scripture that speaks to your identity, that hits you a little sideways, like you are a beloved child of God. And you're like, I, I, no, I, I can't, I don't feel like a beloved child of God. Okay, let's deal with that. Why do you not feel like a beloved child of God? We need to get that foundational pillar of being a beloved child of God settled in our lives 
So then we can begin to respond and behave out of that identity, right? So that identity piece is such a foundational thing in this. But yeah, your other two points are, are perfect as well. So what are your other two points? Uh, be curious and watchful of the why behind things. What, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Mm -hmm. And then the third one is, is being in community, living life with other believers, because the times that we are like, I don't, I don't have anything, they can stand and be like, man, no, you have been cleansed. You are holy. You are beloved. Yeah. So it really all of it comes out of this base space of knowing your identity in Christ, because that's where we want to be drawing things out of, right? So, and it is a work of God. It's a work of God. So I thought you put that really well today, mm -hmm. that it's Christ working in you that draws these things out of you, right? So if, if you or I thought that we had to do this on our own, we'd be in big trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's never really worked out well. Uh, but when we know God is working in us, that's a, that's a different story altogether. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. What do you mean by acting from identity in Christ? Okay, so it's exactly those things. So if you had a chance to sit down and look at... These epistles are really good for understanding your identity in Christ. Okay, so just begin to read through Scripture and see what Jesus says about who you are. Right? Look at what, what, what the epistles... The epistles often start with, Hey, saints. Hey, those of you that are dearly loved. Hey, those of you that are children of God. And he be, the, the epistles begin um, by addressing these kind of things, right? So understanding, acting from your identity in Christ is to begin by understanding who you are, right? So having let that scripture kind of breathe into you. Let God breathe into you. You can even do this exercise later on. You can say, Jesus, how do you see me? Jesus, how do you see me? Help me to understand how you see me so that I can begin to understand that. So you don't have to tell people to behave the way they think they are because people naturally behave what they, how they think their identity is, right? Everybody behaves out of who they think they are. What you need to do is you need to remind yourself of who you actually are, right? Bring yourself into alignment with the identity of who God sees you as, right? How God sees you. And that's going to change your behavior. And it's, it's, it's long. It's over a long journey. It's not something that if you just went, oh, tomorrow I'm just going to start acting differently. It likely won't happen. It's a long journey, right? Just begin to continue to learn your identity in Christ. Do you have anything else with that? Nope. That's good. It also stems out of community. Yes. Okay. So, yes. That's a, so, again, back to the point of community. <laughs> I just, be in community. I just, basically, it feels like this whole epistle thing can be summed up in identity in Christ and be in community. If you yeah. remember nothing else from the 21 weeks, remember your identity in Christ and we need to do it in community. Yeah, super huge. Very important. Yeah, good point. Thank you for that. Yeah. Do we have some more? One more. One more? Awesome. Oh, oh this is a good one. Does Ravi's failings actually change or affect the truth that he has declared around the world? Oh, man. I know. I, yes. I reckon. Yes. Yes. It's no. Right? It doesn't. It really doesn't. Because what he declared, when you listen to him, he declared the gospel of Jesus. He declared our identity 
that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that God came and, and sacrificed his son. He declares it. It does not null and void, nor does it null and void the power of Jesus to change the people's lives through his message. It doesn't. But then there's, there is a wrestling of, how does that work? How could someone seem so anointed by God and change so many things and have really grievous things hidden? That's, I mean, that's just where I'm at, where it's like, how, does, how do those work? How do they go? Keyword is hidden. Yes, keyword is hidden. Yeah. Anytime there are secrets, there is death. I, I really struggle with this. I struggle with this a lot. Um, and I may not look at any of Ravi's teachings for the next week. Okay, so just reality. I struggle with this because, um, because of what it, as I look at my own life, right, um, I've got all kinds of problems. I, I, you know, none of us are perfect. No leader is perfect. But if you're going to step into a place of leadership, you need to be actually trying to live transparently, transparently live vulnerably, you gotta, you gotta get your crap out there with somebody, right? Not with everybody. Goodness gracious, I'm not gonna air my dirty laundry with all of you guys, but I'm going to do it with somebody. And I'm gonna make sure that I am transparent and vulnerable and real with somebody because leaders are, are called to live above reproach. They're called to live to a different level. And while, while the, the truth that Ravi uh, declared around the world, that Jesus saves, that he's the only way to salvation, that we need to come to him to find hope and joy and forgiveness and all that stuff. While that's not changed, practically, there's a lot of people around the world right now that are questioning what Ravi taught because of his behavior. So practically, yes, it makes a difference because people are questioning what they believe in Jesus Christ because Ravi was supposed to reflect Jesus. And so that's a hard thing. When a leader can stand up and say, I'm not perfect, and I've got problems, and I'm working through them, and it's unhidden, that's one thing. But when a leader hides all that stuff, it just does not look good to Jesus. It doesn't. And so I'm struggling with it. I'm just struggling with it. So it's just the reality of it. Listen, folks, if you, 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 the church, you're watching, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you represent Jesus, get your crap together. Stop, and as lovingly as I can possibly say it, right? Live lives that are transparent in community. Know your identity in Christ. Be vulnerable with some people. And let's, let's reflect Jesus as well as we possibly can. Nothing hidden, right? Let's get rid of the hidden stuff. Whether you are, whether this is the issue that you're dealing with, whether it's a different issue, whatever it is, let's stop living hidden lives. Yeah. That was the last question. <laughs> Way to end it on a, Here we go. a good note. Excellent. Yes, I have a benediction. One moment. I wrote it down and forgot it. And so my benediction this morning is, is out of Romans. Romans 8. So may you be ever more convinced that nothing can separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither your fears for today nor your worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate you from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation 
will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. I bless you today to receive a revelation of this truth, that you are deeply, deeply loved. And no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what um, secrets you struggle with, no matter what you've brought into the light, nothing changes the fact that you are deeply, deeply loved by God. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.